it's the, the dual sourcing strategy those that were already set up in different parts of the world obviously were at an advantage versus trying to scramble and build new relationships i think those that had the ability to be nimble and get into new categories because there were some categories that you don't have to go far away from what your brand ethos is alibaba.com sourcing insights is the official podcast from the alibaba.com team Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes. Hey, Suchi, welcome to the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights Podcast. How's it going today? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this is going to be a great conversation. We're going to really dig into uh, companies trying to scale from around that million dollar mark to, let's say, $50 million, which can be a, a pretty crazy joyride. I've been on the $1 million to $10 million train, so I can give some insights from that perspective as we're talking, but I'll, it'll be fun to talk about growing even bigger. Before we get too far into this, though, I just wanted to give you an opportunity real quick just to introduce yourself and let people in the Alibaba.com audience here know who you are. Yes. So I have a background academically and professionally in tech and supply chain analytics, engineering and master's in computer science. And I am an immigrant. I came into the United States on my tech jobs. And through my career before Suchi Inc., the common thread was supply chain analytics. So I started with Intel with their supply chain analytics team, and then went on to join two different venture-backed tech companies in the predictive data analytics and supply chain space. So I was fortunate to be working with a lot of companies that we were servicing, looking at their data, providing predictive models. And through that time, I saw that the supply chain tech landscape across these companies was pretty broken and disconnected. Companies were simultaneously operating across two ends of a continuum. So whether you were small and growing fast or really big, uh, a big part of the business was running on Excel and Google Sheets. And then on the other extreme, that's still these monolithic ERPs. And connecting all these disconnected data sets and all the different participants was a challenge. So I just felt like there might be an opportunity to create a single source of truth and a supply chain platform that could spread across the length of the supply chain and provide a seat at the digital table for internal players as well as outside participants. So uh, that's my background and that that's how I thought through, that that gave me the experience to think about the idea that became Suchi Inc. It's interesting you mentioned Excel sheets and this no man's land, because I've been in this exact no man's land. It's like either it's either Excel or, or NetSuite. And if you're not at the NetSuite level where you're willing to pay half a million dollars a year for software, you're on Excel and, and still running a multi-million dollar business through Excel sheets. It's uh, almost hilarious at, at some at some level. Yes, no, absolutely. And that's, you hit the, the nail on the head. That's precisely the challenge we set out to solve. And as we, this podcast is about talking about companies scaling in, in that exact place that you describe. And there has to be a simpler solution to that because big part of scaling and having is, is having a successful backbone, which includes having a digital tech stack. So you, you shouldn't need to choose between Excel and a half a million dollar solution on the other end. There has to be something in between. And we'll talk about that some more, but, but I think that's a big consideration for companies is how do you figure out the right sourcing solution as you scale, but also the right kind of digital solution as you scale that makes sense for where you are as a company 
uh, without you needing to pay an arm and a leg for it if you are a company scaling fast. So I love this train of thought because this is something, maybe I'll learn something here because uh, this is something I've been struggling with myself quite a bit. Obviously, we source quite a bit of stuff from Asia. We source other parts of the world as well. We're just not quite at the volume, it feels like, to be able to to source in multiple places. The, the challenges I tend to find is like the place that we want to source from the begin with is the cheapest option. A lot of places in the world geographically tend to to be the best for or whatever it is, they're really good at making injection molded plastic, for instance. Another place in the world might be really good at sewing stuff. And so what level do you need to be at before it does make sense to start sourcing from more than one manufacturer? And what is the approach? Is there some type of insurance hedge here where like you are paying more to do it from one manufacturer versus the other, but like you're also spreading your, your risk? What's the, the approach there? Yeah, it's a good question. And there's two parts to that question, right? At what level do you need to be to start spreading? And I'd say the earlier, the better. And you, as one of the team members driving the growth of a team, you're going to know when you're at that cusp of really exploring in a good way. So you want to almost be a little bit ahead of that and preempt that and start because these conversations to set up base in different countries take some time. And you're right, we see with the companies you work with as customers that how do you, if, if so you make that decision that you want to spread, but how do you attract the interest on the other side, from the supplier side or the factory side, because you might not have that volume. And the answer is you want to work with experts that know um, and can aggregate volume, meaning there might be these intermediaries that A, understand the cultural nuances and have the relationships. And we've seen that relationships are so key when you're trying to open up to a new supplier base. So that's one part of it. And and they're also able to, to the earlier point, aggregate volume from perhaps some of their other customers as well. Right? So so you definitely want to do that. But I encourage companies to do that sooner rather than later and not wait. And the second part of that question you raised was one of costs. I think a lot of companies take a, a short uh, view of how they view costs, which is it's not just the cost of goods sold. It's also the opportunity cost of lost sales as well as the cost of freight, which we've seen wildly fluctuates. And so that's the beauty of having a presence, not just in the Far East, but somewhere closer, somewhere in Central South America, if, for example, you're an American brand, is when you get something in a little bit of a higher volume from the Far East, there's a huge benefit to that, of course. But when you get a relatively shorter, smaller runs from, say, South America, you have the advantage of not needing to hold huge amounts of inventory, but you're probably also paying um, less in freight and you've been able to capitalize on demand and not lose sales. So that's another way of looking at it is you might want to have your own back of the envelope Excel formula for how you truly calculate cost of goods sold and then the opportunity cost of lost sales. Yeah, I mean, so that's that true because right? there's, like you said, there's a whole bunch, but besides the opportunity cost and the time cost of money and losing those sales, the damage that does to your brand, the fact that there's probably someone else out there waiting with bated breath to capture those sales if you're not there with the product available. But you mentioned some other things here that's really important, the cost of freight. There's time cost of money of point to point from the time you place your order to the time it shows up at your door. The freight transit times from Central or South America can be less. And one of the things that is really important that you also brought up there is just that opportunity cost. You just never know who else is waiting in the wings to to capture those sales. And you lose that customer forever, potentially. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's the thing about macroeconomics is those are items, those are just factors and parameters that are out of control. And so in many ways, you're controlling more for those out of control factors by diversifying your supplier base a little bit. So you, you can optimize for just having 
um, the best combination of goods in terms of uh, time, costs, as well as these macroeconomics, that it's just inevitable that they're going to hit you, given that supply chains are global. And it's also inevitable that no matter how long you've been working with a supplier uh, and how good a relationship is, things change. Either they get some other really big order and you become small potatoes and they can't service you anymore, or your volume grows and they can't deal with keeping up with that volume. They decide they want to take advantage of you in some way and start raising pricing or their quality slips. There's all kinds of things that can happen. It's really just a matter of time. And so being able to diversify in the way that you're talking about really makes it easy to almost flip a switch and, and move manufacturing to that other manufacturing versus think about how long it takes you to set up a brand new relationship and trying to do that at the worst possible time is never the time to be doing that. Yes. No, you never want to be initiating a new relationship under duress <laughs> yeah. because you're you're then in a little situation is you're under stress with your existing relationship because you're beholden to them. And then you're also not in the best place to negotiate a new relationship. The other angle to this is beyond the fact that you want to have a good percentage spread across different suppliers. It's also about growing. It's also about growth. If you think about growing your brand, you you want to be launching new categories. And so when you think about dual sourcing, one is, can I take my most successful products and have different sources for it, which is important. But the second is there might just be different suppliers and different geos that are good for new products that you may want to launch. So yep. that's it's also investing in growth in new categories. And one of the things you're talking about bringing up geo, you know, hopefully your brand's not just uh, expanding in the United States only. Hopefully you're selling in other parts of the world. And so these other manufacturers might be able to save you money shipping into the UK, for instance, or into the Eurozone uh, or wherever other marketplaces, uh, Australia, maybe uh, India, things of this nature. Uh, so again, it's a complex <laughs> picture. It's not just a, a one single facet you want to be looking at. Just what is the price you're charging me for the widget? Because there's so much more to it than that. Yes. Yeah. No, 100%. And, and I think a lot of companies don't uh, realize that with growth, they could grow quickly, but they could also grow in a very complex way, in a good way, meaning go across different countries and being prepared for that. And I know that wasn't part of your question, but I think as they do that, it's also preparation on how do you digitize as you grow? Because one part is diversifying your risk with having different suppliers, but also diversifying risks and having as much as you can be digitized. It's, it's difficult to understand the success of your supply chain or where your risk factors are without truly having the data to analyze it in retrospect. And, and I think a lot of folks, to your point earlier, it's you don't need a system that costs you half a million dollars to be able to assess that. Yeah. Just start with the basic principles where you're able to accumulate all of the data in one place, but also have all the participants interact in some meaningful way where it's not manual, where it's not asynchronous, you have everything in one place. And and so where you the important thing for a lot of company scaling fast is you have to take you have to have the ability to take a step back, take a look at your historical performance and derive some smarts and intelligence out of it to be able to then make the right decisions about the future as you scale. So that's another important part of it too. And I think the the beauty about some of the systems that the new generation of supply chain platforms, including ours too, the Suchi Grid, is we provide an interface where suppliers can interact. And and so brands have the ability to invite their suppliers so they could participate in the conversation, have a seat at the digital table, and you then have ways to assign tasks and projects and dates. So if you have if you're adding suppliers to your to to your global supply chain, it's it's now possible to go back in time and look at the last year and see um, how somebody did, what was their cost, what was the margin you made by supplier, how long did it take, 
and then just some of those basic metrics, then it, it informs the decisions you would make in the future. So what are some of the things, because we, we're still, I shouldn't say still, we've gone back to, to Excel. It's so funny as we we're talking about this conversation. And you mentioned some of the things, some of the historical data, but I'd love to dig in a little bit more of what can someone do as they're scaling? What does this data provide them? What actionable cost savings are they getting or improvements in their supply chain in terms of timeline or not running out of stock? What does the data like specifically do to help with those types of issues? It depends on, it starts by listing what the top business challenges are today for a brand, as well as what are the objectives um, and goals you're trying to achieve. One common, but to specify one common thing we see is best brand scale. There's a lot of manual tasks, and then you're really hiring people to complete those manual tasks. And the right way to look at it is you don't want to have add people to chip away at those problems. You ideally want to digitize that. So the team members are really focusing their time on more of the strategic tasks to grow the company. So I'll take an example of that is one of our customers before they, they brought our system in, manually adding data on all of the purchase orders and sending it to the suppliers and then calling the suppliers on WhatsApp or phone calls and then sending emails to them and then waiting for the suppliers to acknowledge the the purchase orders. And then across the production tracking process, all of the updates on dates and files are all happening manually as well over phone calls. So there's no accountability really on when things are delayed or if things are delayed, what's the downstream impact of delivery to the customers. So when all of this information is not cataloged um, and is entered manually, that's it could be the full-time job for a bunch of people as a company scales. Plus, um, you really don't have a handle on if something goes wrong or something is missed, what's the downstream impact? Mm-hmm. So both of those are some of the fundamental low-hanging fruit um, items that you can upgrade once you have a system where, number one, if you can automate the creation of purchase orders and just make it even faster, right? But it's a little bit faster to create POs, make assignments to vendors, have the vendors acknowledge it. So that's number one is if you can even save 15 to 20% of a team member's time and that's happening across three or four folks, then and, and then you annualize that, that that could be pretty good savings. And then those yeah. folks are more reallocating their time on more strategic imperatives. And then the second thing is, Things are bound to go wrong in supply chain. Something's always going to go wrong. Things are never flawless and smooth. So it's just about having a system where if you have simple rules built in and now where everybody's participating, you have your whole production process tracked. If the cutting and sewing of something is delayed, now with simple formulas, you know what the downstream impact is and you can control for it and take action in advance. So I'd say those are some of the challenges on the ground level and having a system where you're digitizing can help solve for some of that. Supply chain disruptions can cause significant delays to product orders. However, with the on-time delivery service from Alibaba.com, your B2B orders are protected in the case of any delay. On Alibaba.com, you can find around 30 million products that have a guaranteed deliver-by dates. And should there be a delay, you'll be compensated for up to 10% of the order amount with a maximum amount of 100 US dollars. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about the on-time delivery guarantee and other great tips at buyer.alibaba.com. You're talking about a lot of manual labor, people having to do this. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I'm, I'm human as well, but, and I tend to make mistakes <laughs> every now and then. And uh, systems can definitely help with that as well. Unfortunately, we've been victim to this, or just, and we don't really yell at our staff or get too too down on them for if they're making one mistake out of a thousand things or whatever. We all make mistakes, but man, sometimes they cost us a lot of money when they don't 
pay that back out of their salary to be like, oh, I made a mistake. I'll give you this uh, $50,000 I just lost because you ran out of stock on something. And so having systems can really, I think, help with that as well, just reduce any type of human error. Yes, for sure. The human error is a big part of it. It's also accountability is if someone's making a mistake, of course, you're, you're talking about holding somebody accountable, but it's also going back and looking at what caused the mistake and, and quantifying how much how much that cost you so to prevent that going forward. That's the other thing systems can do. But again, in saying that, let's also say systems are not the magic answer to things. It's It takes some effort to implement something that works for you. So there has to be a commitment and a concerted effort to want to digitize and spend that time up front to make sure that systems are successful. Because to, in many ways, the ROI of these system implementations is also equally dependent, not just on the right choice of software, but on the teams themselves and making sure that they're setting it up and using it to maximize the the, the return on the investment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So we've talked about sourcing from multiple factories and hopefully multiple geos. We talked about systems. Let's do one more challenge that, that people face as they're scaling and things that you can do to, to help with that as you're going through that process. You, sorry, but you said one more challenge? Yeah. That's so I'd say that this may, we've seen a lot of companies spread themselves too thin. And I'll tell you what I mean by that is a lot of the brands that we encounter, they, they grow successfully because they're experts at sales and marketing mm-hmm. or marketing their brand. And sometimes when you have explosive growth, it's just very easy to get distracted by focusing on the wrong strategy for your growth of the business. So to be very specific, we've seen some companies try to go establish supplier relationships in a new country all by themselves. And it this is very common and they may give up very early. So just as an example, if you want to set up in South America, the cultural nuances that are very different. Setting up terms, simple things like terms that go, it's, it's much more dependent on relationships that you might have. So that's one example where recognizing and being authentic and intellectually honest about who you are as a company, what's made you successful is the branding and the actual product and letting, and rather going through experts and not wasting the time and effort on that. That's one example. The other is we've seen brands try to build their own IT systems in-house and spend the money on that. And then it takes them years before they realize they want to um, cut their losses and actually get somebody in. So there's a plus and a minus there. The positive is mm-hmm. there is a recognition that they need to digitize, but the they get a little too ambitious and try to build that in-house. So I'd say that's one thing is being taking a step back and being intellectually honest on what's really brought them to that point and continuing to over-index on that and grow on that vector, which is the expertise in sales and marketing. But then being smart about saying for everything else that's important, which is the backbone that's going to help me scale. Let me find the experts that could go that could do that versus building it in house. It's funny. I'm, if you're watching this on video, you'll know I'm laughing because uh, I think if you give any entrepreneur enough time, they will convince themselves that they can build some type of system themselves, and it can't be that difficult. You just hire a developer, and it'll be done in no time. And uh, I even have an IT background. That was my background before this, so I even have more confidence that I can make these types of things happen. And the reality is that someone else has spent hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and a lot of time to develop these systems and probably can do it a lot better than you can. Even if you could do it well, it's a whole different business. You can only, as an entrepreneur, and I think we yeah. we all fall down a few times and learn it the hard way, like you said, is even if you could do it well, you can't manage multiple businesses at the same time. And I think when you're growing as a brand, scaling 
and just making sure your supply meets demand and vice versa is a full-time job in and of itself. And so you don't want to simultaneously be a sourcing company as well as a software company. You can't, you can build that all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit here because uh, I, I just, I think you might have uh, some good insight here as someone that's helping people source all over the world, millions and millions of dollars of goods. It's been, at least for me, the most challenging year or two of e-commerce. Just the, the whole sourcing logistics supply chain has been just so aggravating and, and just such a struggle. Um, but a lot of times opportunity is born out of these types of things. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you've, now that you look back at it a, a year, almost maybe two removed from the start of this <laughs> kind of nightmare scenario, if you actually see opportunities emerging because of some of the fallout from those. Yes. And we've seen that written about so much. It's been inspiring and quite insane in a good way to see all the folks that converted the challenges and had that be tailwinds that helped propel their growth. In the cost of repeating myself, it's the, the dual sourcing strategy. Those that were already set up in different parts of the world obviously were at an advantage. Yeah. Versus trying to scramble and build new relationships when the, excuse the language, when the shit hit the fan, it's, <laughs> you're always under duress, you don't want to do it at that point. So that definitely helped. I think those that had the ability to be nimble and get into new categories, because there were some categories that you don't have to go far away from what your brand ethos is. But there were some categories that did really well in the pandemic at leisure and just basic soft goods in terms of safety products for protection. And so the being able to pivot and, and also using your near shore capacity to do that was helpful. The third, but definitely the I'd say the most important was being able to also adopt technology in the tech stack, not just for the supply chain, but also to adapt to the new way of work. So we saw a lot of companies that previously were fully in the, in a lot of our customers, battle companies would, didn't even know what remote work was. And then they had mm -hmm. to overnight go from being in the offices every day to, to working entirely remote. Many of them have stayed remote. And so adapting to that method of work and having the technology for that will also plugging in the supply chain activity and the digital stream of that into the way of their work. And some companies were able to do that and some were not. But those that had the the kind of leadership and the innovative leadership to take that step definitely were well ahead. And that chasm between those that were able to adapt and those that were not further helped those that were able to adapt. So they were able to capitalize on that gap and make that gap even wider, I think. So you're right. It's been inspiring to see some customers really come ahead and use the use a challenge and convert that to an opportunity. Yeah, very cool. All right. So again, switching gears just a little bit more again, um, we already talked about this a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious, it sounds like uh, you're, you're an expert at this, you're just digital sourcing uh, concept, again, using software and tools for the mid company. It sounds like the company that's outgrown the Excel sheet, but not, not ready to graduate to NetSuite yet. What are some things that you found that using digital can help identify suppliers is there i know some of our suppliers if i was to try to bring them some of this technology components that they would just be overwhelmed because they're just smaller factories that and i visited some of them it's funny as you visit back when we could go visit you think you're working with the biggest factory in the world and you go realize you're like working out of someone's garage and 
<laughs> whatever almost. But what are some strategies in terms of, of sourcing? Obviously, Alibaba.com is like awesome for, for this, being able to use their platform to help identify suppliers. But what are other opportunities that you've seen where you can use software to help identify suppliers and work with them as efficiently as possible? Yeah, there's, there's platforms, obviously, uh, Alibaba.com and our platform, and there's other platforms out there that either help you onboard your own suppliers or have a, a notion of suppliers that you could choose from. It, I, I'd say the one thing we've seen that separates the successful platforms that you could find and work with suppliers on versus the ones that don't are the user interface. Uh, you can escape the the fact that there's a big cultural transition point. And a lot of suppliers are not used to being on systems. They still prefer to work with the old methods and email or a phone call is still the way to do it. So you'd have to understand that profile and that that character set of that supplier base when you think about systems for them. So building, and I'll take some very specific examples, is having a very simple user interface, language translation in there so it's easy for them to use. But also, how do you onboard somebody that's this kind of a skill set? Meaning, with some platforms, you could give them simple links and ease them into that transition of needing to input information or providing approvals and acknowledgements. And a simple link could do that versus if you need to forcibly onboard them, that might not work. So you may, so the platforms that are successful, you want to give them a stepwise transition point to using the system versus making it binary mm. and expecting them to use a system like a corporate user would. So if you're looking at digitizing the interaction with the supplier and doing it through a platform, I would urge brand uh, decision makers to really look for platforms that over-index and really value the user experience and the user interface and have built that from the ground up for how suppliers would use it. Because if you could work with a platform that is very friendly to supplier use, it it's done a lot of the homework for you already. This is you then making an independent decision on a software system and then separately working with a supplier and try to force them onto it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Have you ever actually had anyone that couldn't make the leap? Like you were like onboarding new clients and, and working with trying to get suppliers more into the digital realm. Has there been anyone that's ultimately given pushback or is everyone eventually assimilated into the, the new model? You're talking about the supplier specifically. The supplier specifically. Within the yeah. ecosystem, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, all the time. Look, if you'd probably... Uh, relate to this yourself. You're probably working with suppliers yourself for your supply chain. It's not you're never going to have 100% compliance, and yep. it's very easy. It, it's very important that you walk in when you do an implementation to be aware of that and have realistic expectations. So, if you have let's say 10 suppliers, and if you're a company that's in that, in, and I'm taking averages based on actual data, but if you're in the 10 to 20 million dollar range, you probably have 10 suppliers, and not all of them may be finished goods. Some of them may be your raw material suppliers and you're going to expect that your top two suppliers that do 50 to 70% of your work, that's going to be an easier sell because they value your volume. So it's an easier conversation to have them have with them to get on the system. And then we always recommend that you phase in the longer tail of suppliers that maybe you don't give that much volume to because the leverage there are a little less. You have less leverage in terms of the volume you're giving them. It directly corresponds to maybe having a tougher conversation to get them onboarded. And so we, and perhaps you don't need to have all the suppliers in the long tail on the system in any case, right? Because the even if they're not on, the cost of interacting with them 
the way you were doing in the old world is maybe not hurting you as much just because you're not giving them as much volume. So it's important to cohort, uh, break up and cohort your suppliers. And when I say cohort your suppliers, it also means the new suppliers you bring on, it's also easier to have that conversation up front with them and say that the newer cohort, right. I'm going to get them on because I'm going to establish with them that this is just the way we're doing business and that's easier. And versus the ones in the past, pick the ones that are the most important to you, focus your efforts there because that'll have the most impact. And so expecting 100% compliance from 100% of your suppliers is not realistic. And maybe that's okay. It's not necessary to have them all onboarded. Yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Suchi, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been like a really great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time and make sure we're not uh, using up too much time. But before we, we wrap things up, I, I love asking like open-ended questions at the end uh, for things that I might have missed or not thought to ask. What, what are some tips that you might have, final tips here, and we can take as much time as you, you want for companies that are in this range of, again, they're, they're maybe doing a million dollars, you're looking to, to, to get to 50 million, some things that we haven't discussed so far today that are just come up over and over again, and you might have some insights, some tips on how to approach that before we wrap up here. Yeah, I'd say we spoke about technology and we spoke about hiring, and sometimes technology could help you be be smart about how you hire. But I'd say when you go back to hiring is look for diversity in the team you hire and definitely bring folks from outside the traditional. If you are taking, let's take the example of apparel. If you're an apparel brand, look for technologists that maybe just come from a very different industry for your next level of leadership and come in with a fresh set of eyes and they're able to challenge how things are done. Because investing in strategic thinking as you scale and having the kind of people that could challenge you and sometimes bringing somebody from an industry that's not yours, it can be very helpful. And I've seen that in the case of Suchi Inc., but also with a lot of the customers is the the experience level of the executives you bring on is very important. So I'd urge that is, is invest in technologists. It makes a very big difference to the success of the brand. The second thing is to just always be talking with and staying in touch with technology players. It's because investing in the right systems can make all the difference and versus making a decision. And you don't want to be just starting to experiment with these conversations 10 days before you want to make a purchase, just almost making it a regular part of your your day job and always just staying connected with the different software systems out there. It's just healthy anyway, because it's informing you, you're learning. But then when the time comes and you want to make a purchase, it just makes the job easier. So those are a couple of things. Awesome. Again, Suchi, can't thank you enough for your time. Thanks for coming on and talking to us on the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights Podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the year. Same. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes.